I think most people here know who this is. I'm going to be doing a little bit of interviewing with. We thought this is a good way to uh, remember our past. This is Bob Brackett. If you do not know, uh, his, his parents are the ones on the far right. Bob was, uh, you were about 50 years old. At 14. 14. 14 years old at that particular time. Um, but Bob, when, when you moved here, I know that there was, there was not a Church of Christ here. And, um, and so y'all were going over to Fort Pierce, driving, I think is about three families that were doing that, these three families here. What, what made you decide, let's, let's start a church here in Vero Beach? Well, I was a kid at the time, of course, and so um, my parents, I was raised in the church, and we came here in 1947, and we went to Fort Pierce uh, for church. But my parents uh, saw some other people here in Vero Beach that were also doing the trip to Fort Pierce and decided well, we just needed to have a congregation here in Vero Beach. And so they got together, had a meeting, the three couples of them, the Tillises, uh, my, my parents, the Brackets, and the Laws. And they met and got together and decided to have that uh, church and they say started in 1948 and we started uh, in the living room of our home on 37th Avenue just about three blocks from here the house is still there and uh, probably 10 to 12 people including the kids were there um, on that first Sunday morning uh, I can remember us all sitting around and uh, one of the uh, one of the mem members uh, Rufus Tillis who was there from the very beginning uh, was the song leader. He decided that we needed a song leader and nobody was a song leader really, but uh, he kind of got volunteered, I guess, you know, how that could works. And, but he was very uh, uh, self-conscious of being in front of people. And so he would sit on the front row, would, we'd put some chairs out and he'd sit on the front row and he would, wouldn't face the, the people. He would start the singing, facing the, the way we're all facing together because he couldn't turn around and face the audience. Uh, he did that for a long time and finally grew out of that. Uh, but the church started there, and then from there, uh, we went to a rented little Navy chapel. Uh, the Navy base had been here and closed in 1945, and the little Navy chapel was out there. It was a pre prefabricated building. Uh, we uh, moved out there and rented that for $10 a month. And uh, we, we like to... Uh, like that little chapel, it was great. Uh, this, the kids especially liked it because every now and then uh, we would go there on Sunday morning and there'd be a black snake running around under the floor, on the floor, and uh, they, they, the kids loved that. The parents were not too excited about it, or maybe overexcited about it, might be the best way to say that. But uh, in 1949, that building blew down in a hurricane. It was a prefab building, and it literally just collapsed on top of wall on top of wall. Uh, so we went out there and noticed that it was all gone. Uh, we went to the uh, city, or my parents did, went to the city, because there were pews in there and, and, a, and a speaker stand and so on. And they bought all the pews and the speaker stand for $75. I uh, still have that invoice, incidentally. Um, but uh, things were quite different. We moved from there into another Navy building and we that we were allowed to use. Um, uh, we had to clean the building up after they had a social event 
on Saturday night in there. We had to clean the building up before we could meet in there on Sunday morning. And there was a little, we came in the back door because the door, the front door stayed locked. Uh, we had to climb a little ladder of about three or four steps up to get in. So uh, again, the kids uh, did fine with that. The adults, uh, uh, they would have rather had something better, I'm sure. Now, our Founders Hall, and by the way, most people call their place they go eat the Fellowship Hall. We call it our Founders Hall because of these three families uh, in honor of them. And um, that was our very first building here on this site, correct? Um, but what I want to know is uh, how, how that building was built. Who built, who built that building? Well, my dad was a contractor of record on that building. He was a general contractor, a small general contractor, usually himself and one man, would build one house at a time and sell it and so on. But he, he was a contractor, and, but all the members actually worked on that building. They'd come down after they got off their jobs in the evening and work, and, and uh, on Saturdays, they would come and get to work again. And so a lot of that building was put together by amateur help. Can you give us any, um, any, anything we could go over there and see the amateur in this well, set of words? <laughs> most of it's been changed, of course. Where the kitchen is now was the baptistry. And uh, on the sides of the baptistry was little, uh, little tiny classrooms. Actually, there were dressing rooms for the baptistry, but dubbed as classrooms because there were no other places to have classrooms. But if you look over there today, there's only one thing or a couple of things that you can see that are maybe original to the inside of the building. Uh, one would be the glass blocks on the front of the building. If you're inside, you see those glass blocks. My dad uh, laid those blocks himself and I mixed the, the, the cement in order for him to do that. Um, but if you look up uh, at the ceiling, uh, you can tell that there were amateurs building that building because uh, it, it's a tongue and groove type ceiling with asbestos type uh, flooring or ceiling that went together. And of course, it's like a tile floor. You want the lines to be straight. And if you look up there still today, even though it's been recoded two or three times, you can still see those lines where they would get off, get jagged off and, and weren't uh, straight. And uh, that's because members of the church were on ladders and the scaffolding and were putting those together and they would get so far and then realize that they were off and they'd have to do some correction to go back and start over again. If you go over uh, later on and have some refreshments, you can look up and uh, you can see uh, the past. Uh, the other thing I wanted you to mention over there are the windows. The original windows were jealousy windows. Some of you might know what those are. Or of course, there was no air conditioning in the building because there was no air conditioning anywhere. And uh, so what we wanted was plenty of fresh air. So Jalousy windows open all the way up so you can get all the air in. But we prided ourselves on the fact that we had those windows open because then the neighborhood could hear us singing praises to God. And you actually could hear it down the road a block away probably that uh, as we sang praises to God in the building. And so jealousy windows were there. Then we put in when those buildings, the, those windows were put in, and what you're referring to, Tracy, is that 
Each one of those windows were bought by an individual family. There was 10 windows, 10 families at that time stepped up, each one paying for a window. And then after the building was completed, they sat by that window. Uh, I'm not sure why they did that. So, so people today, we have our pews, right? Or right. chairs now. Back then you had your window. Yeah. So that, that was one of the great stories. So that was passed along, good or bad. Yes. Now, one thing about this church and its history is mission work. We have been heavily involved in mission work for years. How did this church, wh wh where did it all begin, I guess? Well, mission work has been a, a, a thing in this church for a long time. And uh, back in the probably the 50s and 60s, uh, there was times when we didn't have a preacher between preachers. And uh, Florida College over in the Tampa area was a, a preacher training school. And so some of the students over there would come over drive over on the weekend and, and speak on Sunday morning. One of those students was Nat Cooper, and he came over a number of times to speak, and we got acquainted with him. Nat was a young man from Ireland and um, had a Irish brogue, uh, sang with a beautiful Irish voice uh, that could just fill the whole room. And so we really enjoyed him coming over, so the church started to support him and his wife, when they went back to Ireland uh, to evangelize over there uh, at $50 a week. And that's kind of grown over the years. Actually, we supported, in some fashion at least, Nat and Jean Cooper for until the last several years when they retired. So that was a venture of at least 50 years. And then we have been in Antigua for how many years? Uh, Antigua, we went in the 80s, I believe, maybe the late 70s uh, to the 80s. I might have some of the dates wrong, but uh, we went down to Antigua, actually started supporting Cornelius George when he was in school in the Caribbean Christian College in San Juan, Puerto Rico. Uh, I, and, I and Frank Parker made a visit to him down there while he was in school and, and uh, came back and we decided that we would go ahead and start supporting him. We supported him in school. And then when he left to go into the mission field in the island of Antigua, which had no church on it at the time, um, he wrote us a letter and uh, said he was headed with his wife, Doris. They were going to Antigua to start a church and he knew that the Lord would provide. And uh, we took that pretty seriously. and. Uh, We've supported him ever since, and even today still support him in his retirement. Very good. Now, we are in the new facility. I guess this is how old? This about 40 years old, this building? Since 1982. Yeah. Since 1982, and we just renovated. I think the original carpet had been in, and it was. it's pretty amazing how well it, it lasted and everything else. But one story that you've talked to me about before that I— I think is so wise that a lot of churches don't think about is when you decided to build this building, what went into that before you decided this is what we want to do? Well, we knew we needed to build because the other building was crammed full. And so uh, Dick Sars and I, we were both elders at the time. Uh, we flew to Nashville, Tennessee, 
uh, got with a church building company. And uh, that's all I did was build churches. And we tr went all over Nashville for several days looking at buildings and so on. We knew the people here wanted a, a couple of things. They wanted a fan-shaped auditorium. That's what we have here today, a fan-shaped auditorium. That was kind of new at the time, but they really wanted that. And they wanted a center aisle right down the middle in case of weddings and funerals. I see we don't have that today. <laughs> That's your daughter that planned we, we used to have saying. <laughs> we used to have that. But back then, uh, anybody that got married, got married in the church, they wanted to march to come down the aisle. Anytime we had a funeral, the casket was in the front and we took it down the aisle. That was important uh, to people, so they wanted that. Other than that, they kind of left it up to us. And so we, we toured up there, found uh, uh, some good ideas, came back and helped design the church building with those two things in mind. And that's what we had today. Very good. And first of all, we can make an aisle. Yeah, yeah we have these right. chairs. Uh, we can do a lot of things, but uh, I, I wanted to bring that up because when you know when they started thinking about the renovations and everything, this building is just already has such great bones about it. There's so much about it that we never wanted to lose. Um, you know, I think a lot of newer churches, you know, they darken out everything, but I think we've got a little bit of, of the new and the old in here with the beautiful stained glass and and just a fan and the beautiful wood on the ceilings and the stained glass up there. And then just this newer aspect. And, and it's really, it's timeless. I think you, you were very wise in how you did that. I was at a church in Nashville for seven years and the secretary, every time bad weather was on the radar, she was praying that a tornado would come and destroy the building because <laughs> it was it was it was just like really long, and she always wanted the fan space, but it's still standing. So the her prayers have not been heard. Um, I do want to talk a little bit about the history of this church and our community involvement. Um, I don't think we can not talk about Bible Alive. It was before my time. But even today, I can be out in the community and I'll say I'm at the Vero Beach Church of Christ and they'll say, isn't that where the well was out in your parking lot? And they're referring to, to Bible Alive. And um, it had such an impact. And I guess that was that in the 80s? That was in the 80s. That was in the 80s. And people are still talking about that. Of course, I know that's not our only involvement, but anything you want to say about our community involvement? Well, I think community involvement is important, and we've been probably hot and cold with that over the years. And Bible Alive was certainly a, a community outreach. Uh, Bible Alive, for those of you who don't know what it was, um, actually Ron Julian was a member here. He's deceased now and moved away and has died, but uh, he was a member here, and he came up with the idea of Bible Alive, and uh, it was a a storytelling episode of different stories in the Bible. For instance, the whale, Jonah and the whale, or Jonah and the big fish, more properly said. Uh, we had a big fish made out of uh, uh, plastic and so on, and that was big enough for people to actually go into it, and Jonah was inside, and they would invite people, the, the visitors to come in and sit down, and he would tell the story of Jonah, and he was dressed like Jonah, supposedly was dressed. And uh, there was a number of these different things. We had 
David and Goliath, and, and uh, we had Goliath on uh, 10 feet tall uh, in an outfit that Prince and had, had uh, David out there with his slingshot and, and so on. And we had a Garden of Eden. We had gar uh, Adam and Eve uh, in the picture of, gar of the, what the Garden of Eden was like, and they told their story. So you went from station to station around the campus uh, and could go to each one of them. People came from the community and they could just do it, kind of add it with their own leisure. Inside we had the crucifixion in here. We had a big cross up, actually had it laying down, had it fixed so it would rise up again uh, when they nailed Jesus to the cross and it was very dramatic. Uh, put him up and hang him. They had the two thieves by the hanging next to him. Um, all those things were very impressionable because we learn more by seeing than we do by hearing. We actually had out in one of the retention ponds out on the east side of the, the building uh, filled with water. John Pickerel would remember that, I'm sure, and Bill Rakes and some of them uh, filled with water. And underneath, John uh, actually constructed this a a little walkway that went out under the edge of the water so when you came to the pond you couldn't actually see that and at the end of it had a little hydraulic that would go up and down and so Jesus would walk on the water get out of the boat and walk on the water and then when he got out there uh, and then of course Peter followed him and come out and walk on the water and he would get that little spot that had the hydraulics and he would sink and told the story, very vividly expressed those stories. But that's what it was, community outreach to bring people to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. Yeah, and uh, just to let you know, we, we played videos last night, uh, some, a lot of the old pictures. They'll be over in the Founders Hall a little bit later on. The Bible Alive was playing um, up here on the countdown this morning, and I think we're going to be putting all that on our website just to let you know that, that if you want to be able to go. But what's really cool about it, Bob, is this is the 80s, and you know, the kids today, they have seen so much with movies, and you know, I look at the 80s, the movies from the 80s, and I laugh now, you know, at the special effects, but one of our young adults was watching it, and just like, was just mesmerized. It's like, they're using real fire, you know, and just, you know, he's really walking on water, and, and things like, so, you know, here we are in 2023, and and that and all those people, those of you who are here that that were a part of that, just really, it's it's just it's amazing what was done there. Um, I know we've been this church has been very generous in helping people in need, um, not just with our own people here, but also out in our community. Um, there was one story you told me that I thought was interesting about the phone booth. Uh, why don't you tell tell about about the phone booth? Well, we always had a tried to have a strong benevolent program. We not only want to reach out to the people in our own congregation that are struggling maybe financially and and trying to make it, but also the community as well. And so it becomes known when you do that. It becomes known around the community. Uh, of who actually will help and people that need help. And some of the people that we encounter here in our, in our area come down I-95. They come down, they're traveling from one place to another and they need help. And back in the day when there were phone booths, there was a phone booth out by I-95. And I noticed particularly because I was always involved in the benevolent work, I noticed particularly we were getting an awful lot of people that were traveling 
down 95 are coming out, coming by here asking for help. And um, I got to thinking about it and thought about a phone booth out there and went out there to check the phone booth. And of course it has a, the phone booth has a telephone in it and a telephone directory. And if you opened up to the yellow pages where all the churches were listed, our name was circled big time, which was an indication to people that got there and got to the phone book uh, that we would help. And yeah. so that's where we were getting a lot of people. But uh, it, it, I think benevolence is very important. I don't want to belittle it at all. We certainly need to help our fellow human beings, and that's part of the mission of the church, I think. I know since I've been here, we've had people to show up and other churches sent them to us. Right. So somehow we are, we are, no. we don't have phone booths anymore, but the, the, the tell, uh, uh, people are still talking about it. Uh, a couple of other things, and then I, I, I'm going to let you go. But uh, one thing are the stickers that Bob and I are wearing. A lot of you are wearing those. Uh, we are not, this is not that we are being supported by the Tampa Bay Rays. I know it looks like their logo. Uh, this is something that goes back. This is, goes back to the '80s as well, right? Right. Uh, tell us about the, the sticker that you have on, and and that whole. Well, the sticker that I have on is called "Sharing the Sparkle," and if you get that, get it in the light. I guess these new ones will do it as well. If you get it in the light where the light hits, it'll actually sparkle a little bit, and that was kind of a theme that we had as an outreach to the community. And if you came as a visitor to the church. Uh, you were met at the door and put a sparkle on you. So all the members knew that you were visiting maybe for the first time. So that gave the members an opportunity to know who you were, get to get acquainted with you when you came in. And then we could share the sparkle. And the sparkle, people would ask us, well, what does a sparkle mean? And it meant sharing the gospel, what it meant. It gave you an opportunity to say, well, the, the sparkle is Jesus Christ. Sharing Jesus Christ is what the sparkle is about. Very good. Um, and one more thing, you know, we've talked about two of our buildings here. There's one more, we call it the Lynn Center. Uh, do you know what year the Lynn Center was built? Uh, 1989. 1989. Why did y'all decide to build that building and what is it used for today for those who may not know? Well, we decided to build the building because we needed classrooms really bad. And uh, so we built a building. Actually, some interesting things about the Lynn Center is that, uh, number one, it was built and paid for when it was built. That's quite unusual for a church, especially a church our size, to do that. Uh, we suggested to the congregation that we would have one Sunday and we would raise $100,000 on that one Sunday to help build the Lynn Bible Center uh, we had never heard of anything like that before. Our contribution at the time probably was about four or five thousand dollars a Sunday. And so that was a real big stretch. And, uh, but we talked it up, uh, met that Sunday. Uh, I can remember vividly getting up to make the announcements at the end that we had raised, I believe, like eighty nine thousand dollars on that Sunday. Of course, we didn't meet the $100,000, but we had raised 89000 And I made the statement to the congregation, you know, we said we were going to raise it that Sunday, and the Sunday's not over. 
we're going to dismiss in a few minutes and go home, but we have till midnight to still do this. And I no more than got home, and Sandy will tell you the phone was ringing at home. We didn't have cell phones back then. The phone was ringing, and it was members calling, saying, I'll give another 1000 I'll give another 500 We ended up with $111,000. And we moved into that building debt-free when we built it. The other thing about the naming of the building that you're referring to, when it was under construction, almost finished, we decided the elders, I was an elder, Dick Sarr was an elder, Heber Lynn was an elder, but he had had surgery on his stomach and had removed part of his stomach and had been laying in our local hospital for several days and his stomach wouldn't wake up from the anesthesia. And uh, they were actually kind of giving up hope that it might wake up at all. And so we thought it might be the last days for Heber. We decided to go up there and pray with Heber. And before we went, we decided we were going to name the building the Lynn Bible Center. And we were going to tell him about it when we prayed with him. So we did that. We all went up, the preachers and the elders went up to the hospital. And we got around his bed and we prayed with him. And then we told him that we're going to name the new building the Lynn Bible Center. I get emotional thinking about it. The Lynn Bible Center. The doctors told us his stomach woke up. He got so excited. He got so excited in the bed, he just couldn't. He just, it's hard to, hard to believe how excited he got. Um, and the doctor said the news that was given to him woke his stomach up. He lived for many years after that and served the church here. And so his son, and so a lot of our folks know Mac, Lynn, um, he came down for it. But what did he say to you about naming it after his, after his father? Well, he was said this in jest. I don't know if you know Mac Lynn or not, but he's a good guy. And um, I've been a minister and a professor in the Christian colleges for all of his life. And he's my age. And uh, he was here for the dedication, he and his wife. And he got me aside, pulled me aside. And he said, Bob, he said, you know, um, in the Church of Christ, we don't, we don't name buildings after people. He said, we do that in colleges. And I said, Mac, we, we know that, but we do. <laughs> and, and, and one more thing on, on just the naming is, uh, did you name it because he gave the most, the biggest donation? I mean, what was it? Uh, why, why Heber Lynn? Is it just because you felt sorry for him? I mean, what, why Heber Lynn? Heber and Floss Lynn were very humble people. Um, before they came to Vero Beach and after they came to Vero Beach, they came in 1952, uh, but before and after, they had gone around the mid of, midst part of Florida establishing congregations. Now, they, lived, they worked for a living. They had a day job. They didn't do this as a living. They weren't being supported by anybody except themselves. But they started churches in Pahokee, Belle Glade, Stewart, Indian Town, uh, Okeechobee, uh, and they did some of that before they got to us and some of it after they came here. So they were very, very, very active, even though they were not ministers of sorts. They were maybe what we might call as a country minister. 
just travel around. They like to open, get churches started, encourage people, very humble people. So it wasn't that they gave a lot of money or had a lot of money to give or anything. They did it because they loved God and loved, uh, loved the church. Very good. Well, uh, I know the elders want to have a prayer with you because speaking about the Lynn Center, that's our education wing. You and Sandy both uh, have been a, it's so instrumental in Christian education here at Harding University and, and all the way abroad. And I know they want to just have a prayer for just really everything in our education and everything else. So we're finished on this part, but you got to put up with, with uh, Joe and Mike at this okay. point. So. Okay. Thank you, Tracy and Bob. That was, that was, that was really good. Um, we just want to, we do want to have a prayer. We, um, and I, and I just want to talk about how well Bob and Sandy have supported Christian education, either as part of a church or as part of a school like Mount Dora Christian Academy. And you can see up here on the, on the signs, uh, bracket Christian Academy in Liberia, uh, and also part of the Ford Madden school, uh, in Monrovia in Liberia. So they've done a great job uh, doing that, and we just really appreciate them. Uh, you know, and then I was thinking as while they're up here, um, you know, you go to, a, I, Glenn and I go to a wedding, and usually if we're going to a wedding, Bob and Sandy are there, and they always beat us as the longest married couple. We're, we're on the floor, and we're, we're, we're thinking, and then we remember uh, Bob and Sandy are here. We're not gonna win that. So I, I just thought maybe we go through the same process. If you've been here for 75 years, if you'll stand up, they're, they're still here. Bob is, Bob is it, he's beat everybody and done that again, but anyway. Um, but, um, you know, based on, on all that we've just talked about and all the things that Bob and Sandy have done, we have decided that we will now name the Lynn, Bra Lynn Bible Center the Bracket Lynn Bible Center. <laughs> All right, if you had on your bingo card, Joe would cry in two minutes or less. You are officially known as the winner. <laughs> so the Bracket Lynn Bible Center, um, it's, it's meant as a way to recognize a very humble couple. I know that if we had asked them, hey, can we do this for you? We know what the answer would have been, right? No, we don't want that, which is all the more reason that we felt it was something that, that was appropriate. We are very confident that the Lynn family would feel the same way when it comes to sharing their name on a building with the Brackett family. So we just thought it was a great time today to, to make this announcement, to make this dedication, and we just hope that uh, sometime today, if you get a chance, give them both a hug and thank them for all that they've done for our community, for our church. And as we get ready for the next 75 years, we know that the seeds that have been planted by your family and continue through you will help us for the next 75 years. Please join me in prayer. Father God, we come before you truly humbled by what an awesome God you are. Father, you're awesome in the way that we're blessed, in the way that we get the opportunity to worship you, in the way that you put people in our life, Father, that are wonderful examples of what it means and father many of us myself included fall woefully short of what it means but when we can look at somebody like this couple Bob and Sandy 
and just take the time to see what it looks like to live like Jesus. We're thankful for the gift that they are to us. Father, we're thankful for today. We're thankful for the, the rededication of our church as we, as we continue to focus on our church growth and our church continuing, all that you may be glorified, Father, not us. Father, we're thankful for the visitors that have come to spend this time with us. We're thankful for past members that have come to spend this time with us. And Father, we ask that each of them be blessed in their quest to draw closer to you. And Father, as we round this prayer out, we just ask a special blessing on Bob and Sandy. Please grant them continued good health, continued mental acuity, and Father, a continuing desire to serve you, which is what they've been dedicated to all these years. Father, you blessed us with so many things, but none more important than your son. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.